The recent drought in many parts of the country has raised questions about whether New Zealand's farmers and growers are prepared enough for a changing climate. Experts warn of serious consequences if primary producers don't take climate change into account as they plan for the future. But is it all necessarily bad news? The trends are pretty clear, according to the models, and what we see. Snippets of at the moment. It's、um, a trend towards a Mediterranean-type climate. Climate scientist Dr. Jim Salinger, who's in no doubt the climate is changing. Winters are wetter, and into springs are wetter. But all the information suggests we're looking at drying in summer and autumn in northern and eastern areas, and a warmer climate. I'm Andrew McRae, and on this insight. A look at just how prepared New Zealand farmers and growers are, or need to be, for a changing climate. Drought is the most obvious climate event, and the recent one that covered the whole of the North Island and the west coast of the South Island hit farmers pretty hard, particularly as it followed not long after their drought in the summer of 2007-2008. This year's drought cost the average dairy farmer $100,000, half in a loss of production, the rest due to buying an extra feed. Alan Law is a dairy farmer in the Eastern Bay of Plenty near Fakatane. We've always had weather cycles, and you talk to the old farmers, and they'll talk about 1965. There was a horrific flood, and you know 1940s. I remember the drought then. That you know it didn't rain from the spring to the winter, and so I think I think there's always been.、Um, Weather cycles, and、um, in my opinion,、um, what we're seeing with、um, increased temperatures and, and, and volatility with the weather—it's just—it's just cycles, I believe. The guys that are probably most challenges, challenged、uh, are the younger farmers that maybe have never experienced a drought or a flood, and are still—you know—they're still, you know, still learning. And、um, yeah, it's a journey. You know, you never stop learning. Doug Avery is a sheep farmer at Grassmere in Marlborough. Years of extremely dry weather in his region nearly brought him to his knees. We had 17 years out of 19 where we didn't get our average rainfall, and I was a guy who had got away to a really enthusiastic start in farming. I, I thought that I had a lot of knowledge and what have you, and progressively as that went on, it just paralysed us. And when we got to about 96, 97, we just suddenly plunged into what people suddenly realised was a one in 100 year event, and、um, that just knocked us over. And I thought to myself, well, I guess.、Uh, We just pick ourselves up, and、uh, this is what happens. We know that we live in a dry area, and what have you. But '98 was a shocker again, and、uh, I, I went from a person who just couldn't wait to get out the door and into the uh, farming, um, into the farming business every day, to a guy who was just beaten, beaten to beyond belief. My mental state was shocking.、Uh, the environmental state of my farm was shocking. And uh, the uh, economic uh, state of my, prop- of my of our business was shocking as well. Doug Avery was able to turn his farm around. How he did it, considering the conditions he faces on his farm, we'll hear about shortly. Robin Dines is a farm systems specialist for AgriSearch, based in Christchurch. She says farmers know there will be shifts in the season, a more variable climate, and increasing extreme weather events. But our farmers are incredibly resilient. They deal with many of these extreme events now, maybe not as frequently as they might in the future, but they do. So for many, business as usual will be how they'll view the future. And many farmers who've been farming for a long time in particular regions will tell you they're already dealing with the impacts of changing climate. 
But I guess what we have to remember when we think about it, it's not in isolation. Input costs continue to go up. We've got the challenges of energy going forward. We've got trends to intensify our farms as one way of managing both the input costs but also the demand for our products. And we've got that ongoing challenge of decoupling our growth and production from the environmental footprint of our farming. So it's multiple pressures that our farmers will deal with. And the economic risk from all of these pressures coming together, of course, does affect, does come within the farm gate. So we as consumers, us urban dwellers and consumers internationally, I think we need to understand our role as climate does change and the reality that it is going to cost more to produce a very high quality food that we do produce from New Zealand. And as consumers, our part in climate change will be preparedness to pay more for food. For farmers, the unpredictability of the climate is just one of many scenarios they have to take into account when doing their planning. Dr William Rolston is the Vice President of Federated Farmers. The unpredictability of climate means that farmers have to be prepared on a year-by-year, week-by-week and day-to-day basis on uh, to deal with different climates. So I think when they're making their long-term plans, uh, they will be trying to build in flexibility to their farming systems rather than uh, basing, basing them on a particular scenario of climate. He's confident farmers are ready to take on whatever the climate throws at them. I would actually uh, contend that farmers have always been changing. And, and if I think back to when my grandparents took um, the reins of, of our family farming property in the 1920s, I mean, we ploughed our paddocks with, uh, with horses. Uh, we, the stock water uh, came across the paddocks in, in sort of muddy ditches, uh, we burnt the foothills to um, suppress the native grasses. You know, all those things have changed completely. Um, you know, now we have tractors with GPS. You know, we we run um, our businesses using using the internet. We've got modern hybrids and uh, fertilizers and uh, uh, pesticides to to help control our um, our pests. Uh, there are a lot of things that have changed in farming. It is an ongoing evolution, and uh, I, I think the worst thing we could do is to uh, seek to wind the clock back and um, get rid of some of these uh, modern practices. The practices need to evolve into the future, not to devolve into the past. Dr Ralston says to deal with the changing climate, the industry needs variety and versatility and be open to all possibilities. This includes new technologies, improved forecasting and better water storage. Coming from South Canterbury with the Opua Dam and this current drought, um, we've been really, really well served by the Opua Dam um, and that's kept uh, productivity up in a, a huge part of South Canterbury. Um, the second thing is you know, around information systems. We have much better information systems and that includes weather forecasting. So our weather forecasting is better, it, it allows us to make better um, decisions and earlier decisions and coping with drought, which we've just had, uh, that is a major um, a major benefit. And, and the third thing, uh, to come back to your question, is, is new technologies. And uh, genetic modification is one new technology uh, that we should be open-minded to. But there are other technologies as well, and there are other systems. Um, there are things we can learn from organics, for example, that um, you know we shouldn't just dismiss. Uh, but I think it's really important that we look at all new technologies and that farmers and farmers in New Zealand in particular have the access and the choice to use the systems that are actually going to suit them the best. Water storage, either small on-farm setups 
with a much larger scheme such as the Opua Dam in South Canterbury or the planned Ruatanifa water storage scheme in Hawke's Bay may be the way to go, according to Lincoln University Environmental Management Professor Ken Huey. He says large schemes require buy-in from more than just farmers. Who's paying, who's benefiting, and how should those costs be distributed amongst the community? I think a lot of people would say that the primary beneficiaries from irrigation are farmers themselves. Then why shouldn't they take out, as a community of farmers, or as an incorporated society, or as some other form of constituted entity, why shouldn't they go to a bank, borrow the money, and, and build their own dam? That's the simplistic sort of version. It's not always that easy. And so most of these sorts of schemes require not only the corporate buy-in, so the local farmers working as a community, but also some local, maybe regional and maybe central government buy-in as well in the form of real dollar contributions. I guess in that sort of circumstance, we have to be careful that we are making sure we're not going back to subsidising our agricultural production, while at the same time we're being being careful to think, well, what other sorts of outcomes can we achieve from these sorts of schemes? So if we take the Opuha, for example, or the Waitoi that is currently being planned and consents have been applied for in North Canterbury, then we can see potential environmental outcomes, cultural outcomes and recreational outcomes as well. Industry organisations are doing their bit to help educate farmers on how to cope with the constantly shifting conditions. As competing demands for water have grown in Canterbury and as dairy farming has increased, irrigation has come under the spotlight. But it's been part of Canterbury farming for more than a century and really took off in the 1940s with the completion of the Rangitata diversion race. Dairy NZ represents dairy farmers and is paid for by levy on them all. One of its executives, David McCall, says a changing climate is something all farmers need to be thinking about, particularly droughts. One of the big issues with drought, of course, is the uncertainty. Um, and so what farmers have been doing is they have been putting in insurance crops, such as uh, using um, maize silage, such as using chicory, which are crops which are more drought resistant. And increasingly, farmers have also turned to other forms of supplements, uh, namely PKE, which they import. So farmers need to have a, a contingency plan each summer, which they do, I guess the issue comes down to the problem in a really long-duration drought is that when is this thing going to end, and even the insurance in the form of uh, crops such as maize, silage and chicory uh, runs out. And so one of the things that I think uh, personally is that we need to think about insurance for the insurance. And uh, if, if in this drought we had uh, been able to use tactical irrigation to protect uh, the insurance crops, um, then... Um, those sorts of measures would have got us through in a lot better shape and meant that we had to rely on a lot less imported feed from overseas. Not too many people are thinking about that at the moment. Irrigation sort of um, perhaps uh, not flavour of the month, but it doesn't have to be full irrigation, but it could be an irrigation to ensure the insurance. David McCall says the insurance crops are essential. Particularly in the North Island, crops such as chicory, crops such as May silage, which have been around a long time, are both uh, a lot more drought tolerant than... Uh, than is normal ryegrass pasture, and there's a lot of those crops being grown. The issue is even they uh, succumb uh, if the duration of a drought um, continues for too long. So a farmer, so an average dairy farm, how much of the farm would they need to plant in those crops? 
Well, something like uh, 20 to 25 per cent of the farm in Chicory would, would easily get a farm through um, through a drought, uh, assuming there was reasonable rain or, or dry period, assuming there's reasonable rain. Probably in practice, um, farmers don't go quite to that extent um, and would be nearer the 15 per cent kind of level uh, with uh, supplements purchased from off the farm as well. Dr Jimmy Archie is a scientist with Ag Research based in Palmerston North. His work focuses on identifying genetic traits in ryegrass and clover to help make the plants more drought resistant. Breeding program takes about 10 years. Um, the, the initial research shows that there's that variation. We have variation, um, we have identified genes that are associated with drought resistance, but it's on one trial um, and one site. So it's not at that stage where you can release or start a breeding program on, on this particular plant. So we have undertaken a bit more broad approach and looking at the wide diversity. So that will take uh, probably, uh, and we have very little funding for that at the moment. So that slowed it down a bit. So it take about 10 years to get something on the ground. So far from, from your research and what, what you see is happening, is it looking promising? Oh, yes, I think so. I think we can we can say so, but it's looking that there's diversity. It's looking um, that some plants will be better at recovering faster, and some are better uh, grow longer in spring. But the difficulty is when you test a plant from overseas, it's not adapted to New Zealand condition, so it can just die from being a kind of jet lag or just not acclimated to New Zealand. So what we have to do is to adapt this plant first, and after we have, that, we have done that, then we can screen it with other plants. And that's what's take time. So this bit, that's where we will have the most promising part. Uh, the most promising plant will come from that type of science, but we need to do the, uh, the adaptation first. And you say it will take at least 10 years for the research project. How long after that? Can it be sort of sold commercially? Within 10 years, uh, you should be able to, to uh, commercially release a cultivar. Back now to Marlborough farmer Doug Avery. He farms in an extremely dry part of the country, so dry that the property next door is the Lake Grassmere Salt Works. After years of below average rainfall and a number of droughts, his farm was teetering on collapse. That is until he went to what he calls a life-changing seminar on replacing ryegrass and clover as a primary grazing plant with lucerne, a deep-rooting plant that taps down to moisture deep in the soil. We leveraged water. I didn't understand that that was what was happening at the time, but there's a scientific equation. If you grow grass, and I had a, a, a ryegrass and clover system, when it got dry, the clover disappeared, and effectively that reduced the amount of grass that can grow. So one millimetre of, of, of uh, water dropping on a hectare of land with just grass produces 13 kilograms of dry matter. If you add clover, it goes up to about 18 kilograms per millimetre of rain per hectare, and lucerne does 28. So what actually happened is as we put more lucerne in, we effectively doubled the size of our farm, which was completely opposite to what had been happening. And as we did that, of course, we started to feel reward. So we got excited and hungry for more. And the property now, uh, we've just had 
a year where my neighbours at the saltworks have had a huge harvest. I think it's running on about 90,000 tonnes and their average is 66. Uh, the grape growers in Marlborough are having a brilliant year and uh, Bonnevary Farm, which is our business, has had a record year of production. Doug Avery says New Zealand farmers can learn a lot from their Australian counterparts. Because they deal with dry a lot, a lot more than us. And over there, since white people arrived, they've consumed 70% of their soil carbons. And I was with a guy one day and he said to me, Doug, the cheapest place to store water is where it lands. New Zealand farmers have been spoilt for water and that's fine while you're still getting it. So they don't really value it. But the property and the systems that we use now, I wouldn't be surprised if we are the most water efficient farm in New Zealand. And when we started concentrating on utilising water, how we use it, when we use it, there's lots of switches that you can change. You can get a completely different result. So my, the basic advice to, to farmers, and there's so many different areas, uh, if it's the first drought that you've really experienced and knocked you around, um, don't panic too much. Just think about it. Think, well, what could we do a bit different? If you live in a place like the Waikato or Northland, or the east coast of the uh, North Island, it's time to think seriously about systems change because those areas, how many droughts have they had now? And that's what happened to Doug Avery. Initially we didn't do anything, but then finally we started to ask the question, what can we do? And uh, I've got heaps of ideas. It'd take me hours to get them all out, but uh, there's lots of solutions out there. And so go, and go out and find somebody who is full of solutions. Professor Ken Huey from Lincoln University is a firm believer that people need to start thinking about climate changes now and not to push it to one side. They needed to start thinking about it yesterday and the day before because climate change is with us. The new norm, and this might sound odd, the new norm for the west coast of the South Island may be more occasional droughts, which is something that perhaps people haven't thought of in the past. And we need to think, well, what sort of systems do we need to put in place to make us resilient or allow us to manage for those sorts of events? I feel confident we can do that. I think we have the technologies and knowledge. It's just a matter of farmers and the industry picking up on the necessity for those changes and showing the leadership required. James Renwick is an Associate Professor of Physical Geography at Victoria University in Wellington. He doesn't believe a changing climate is necessarily all doom and gloom, as new crops will grow in the future that can't be grown now. There will be positives and, and winners. The issue, I guess, is that... As things warm up and we have more moisture in the air, the risks around heavy rainfall events as well as droughts, um, heat waves, um, extreme storms and so on, those risks are increasing as well. So it's becoming a, a riskier climate in the future. And farming, like any business, is about risk management. And the, the biggest risk for farmers is the weather and the climate. So risk levels are increasing across the board even though um, opportunities such as the ability to grow good grapes in Southland, for instance, are also coming on stream. A warming of the climate is likely to have a major effect on grape growing in this country and the production of wine. A recent study by Chilean and Californian researchers, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, Found global warming could more than double the amount of land in this country suitable for viticulture in the next 40 years. Philip Gregan is the CEO of New Zealand Wine Growers. In a historical context, up until the early 1970s, 
the mantra in the industry was it was too cold to grow grapes in the South Island. Over the last 40 years, that's been proven not to be true. Our, our biggest grape-growing area is now, now Marlborough. Uh, I think if the climate is going to get warmer, obviously in the north possibly will mean that uh, grape varieties that thrive in warmer climates uh, will do uh, better. Uh, and in the south, some areas that would currently be considered too cool for grape growing uh, may become viable for that uh, for that purpose. But it's I think it's not just about uh, those areas being viable for grape growing. It's about um, making sure that there's a market there for the product that's produced at the end of the day as well. Philip Gregan says expansion of the wine industry needs to be market-driven, not production-led. Our business is about quality. Uh, we're a high-cost producer in New Zealand because of our climate, uh, and it w our focus is always going to have to be about that. I think also that um, you know, in the context of uh, climate change, uh, it's not just, as I understand it, about uh, the world getting warmer. Uh, there are going to be impacts on water supply and those sorts of things. So uh, we need to look um, at issues around sustainability as well, um, making sure that we are looking after the water, we're looking after the soil and we're looking after the air. Uh, because it's that whole package that comes together to uh, help deliver quality wine at the end of the day. The Victoria University academic Dr James Remwick says it could be decades before there's any perceptible change in the climate. What was stated in the last IPCC report, which is um, sort of that's the most authoritative source for a lot of information about climate change and the effects of climate change on agriculture and society, that the last report that came out in 2007 uh, suggested that for the next 20 or 30 years that the positives would outweigh the negatives in New Zealand in terms of agriculture. And that's, that still seems reasonable. But looking further ahead, by the time we get to the middle of the century and beyond, um, the climate uh, is likely to have become that bit harsher. So um, it will be a riskier environment and the negatives are going to start outweighing the positives. Climate scientist Jim Salinger believes diversification on the land will help see primary industries cope with any climate change. Farmers in the north and east particularly might want to go to a more mixed farming strategy. There has to be flexible strategies, particularly when you get to horticulture where you're dealing with tree crops and that means you want them to be in the ground for a longer period of time, whereas pasture in that you can re-sow your pasture each season. So in that sense, pastoral farming is much more flexible. And in terms of arable crops, those areas like the western areas of the North Island, which are expected to get wetter, ideal for sweet corn and in maize. So really the patterns are a migration south of in terms of horticulture and arable crops of your crop varieties. The other important thing to realise is in the South Island there's a lot of hill country above 300 metres, that's 1,000 feet, and above 1,000 metres. And of course, with the warming climate, you have large areas in particularly Otago and inland areas of Canterbury opening up because the growing season becomes much longer and particularly in Southland too. In those areas 
like Southland, which are reasonably watered, and even in the higher areas of the North Island, you're extending the pasture growing season by probably at least a month. So that will also provide opportunities. Federated Farmers Vice President William Rolston says farmers will cope with any climate change because they are and have always been innovative in this country. They need to have uh, the tools of modern technology to continue that innovation. And uh, genetic modification is certainly a tool that uh, has shown to be very useful around the world. Uh, it's had huge uptake from farmers uh, where it's been available. And that in, in itself says that uh, this is a useful technology because, as I said before, farmers aren't stupid. They're not going to use a technology if it's not benefiting um, them. So, you know, I think farmers in New Zealand look across uh, to Australia and to South America and to North America in particular, even China and India, and see the sort of advances that they're starting to make um, using that sort of technology and saying, well, perhaps we could apply that here. Professor Ken Huey from Lincoln University says primary producers undoubtedly face challenges over changing conditions and they need to be able to manage it. The risk of being a new adopter of change. There is always a bigger risk for those people and they have to be careful about going into those sorts of ventures with their eyes open and trying to manage for the risks of being an early adopter of new systems. Yes, it will create sleepless nights, but hopefully a lesser number of sleepless nights that they've had through the, the intense droughts that they've faced in the past. Dr James Ramwick from Victoria University says there's no reason to panic. We're not talking about everything being wildly different next week. It will be decades before we see significant change in the average climate. But a farmer's professional lifetime, I guess, would be four or five decades. So thinking ahead is always a good idea in, in farming like in any business. Um, so that sort of future planning and thinking about the need for water storage and thinking about just the design and makeup of the farm and, and exactly what is going to be farmed, um, looking ahead is certainly a good idea. I'm not sure just how far ahead... Uh, a given farmer would have to think. Um, farming practices are pretty adaptable and changes can be made, I would say, in, in pretty short order, but um, knowing what's coming up is always useful. Dr Remwick says the rate of warming in the atmosphere has been slower in the last decade than in the last 30 to 40 years, but most of the heating is going into the ocean, so it's not necessarily seen in higher temperatures. But he says climate change predictions are generally coming true. I'm Andrew McRae, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Gareth Thomas with technical production by William Saunders.